Welcome to the Hire Truckers Podcast, where we interview experts in driver recruiting. We provide industry insights, marketing trends, and motivation to help you level up your recruiting game. Hello, this is Aaron Craddock with the Hire Truckers Podcast, and today we have Ron Hedrick on. So Ron is the Vice President of Staffing Strategy and Senior Labor Economist. He has a master's degree in economics, over three decades of experience, Uh, His quotes are regularly seen on Forbes, Wall Street Journal, uh, U.S. News and World Report, as as well as other major media outlets. And he is also author of uh, articles on the labor economy, including The Demographic Drought, uh, which we'll talk some about today, and then also Who is Going to Do the Work. Uh, And and when we chatted last week, he was talking about how he's done six keynotes in six weeks. Uh, So the labor, labor economy is a uh, you know, a hot topic right now. Okay. And I'm hearing weekly from different fleet executives or almost daily just about, hey, what's happening in Q4? What's happening in Q1? And so we're really excited to add value to you guys today uh, with with Ron on our show. And so so thank you for coming on today, Ron. Sure. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, so we'll start with you, you, you've been working on a study in the transportation industry and warehousing um, that you're going to put out or put out recently uh, with Lightcast. Yep. Can you can you kind of just walk us through some of what we talked about last week, but just what you're seeing right now in Q4 and Q1? Yeah, so actually that did come out and it wasn't just on transportation and warehousing, but really kind of looking at, you know, this entire retail sector. And, and it's just been nonstop, right? We've gone through 14 months, or no, it's actually 20 months of rate increases by the Fed and probably 14, 18 months of economists going recession, recession, recession. I've never been one of those. I've never believed we were going to have one. I still don't believe we're going to have one. And so as we've been going through this, trying to figure out, you know, what's happening, you know, what floor is going to fall out. So we kind of looked at this article. It's really just kind of like a blog or an informative blog that we were trying to do uh, topical for this kind of holiday season. And what we wanted to do was look at, you know, the retail space because, you know, we all kind of remember how insane everything got, right, originally. Uh, we all ordered everything. We couldn't get anything because no one was really making anything. Well, then we got it and it stacked up in the warehouses. And that's really what hurt a lot of things is we had a lot of uh, inventory sitting in warehouses Truckers were still being used at the time because they were moving these things over to the stores. Well, they got to the stores and then demand started going way down in that industry. Uh, and what's in, been interesting, though, is, you know, the signals are starting to change a little bit. You know, Amazon came out with like a 200, 250,000 expectation that they wanted to hire. Uh, UPS had a really large number as well that they wanted to hire for the holiday season. And this is pretty this is pretty different than last year. And what's interesting is I've seen some in the media say, well, their hiring expectations are are not as bright. And I'm like, look, I, we actually know what they tried to do last year, which Amazon was like 100,000. So they're like doubling that number this year. To me, that sent a signal that if they need these people, then they're, they're moving product. So a couple of things you can look at. Now, we didn't talk about this in the report because we didn't want it to go, <laughs> get a little too economic geeky here, but this is kind of my jam. So what I would say is, if we look at advanced retail sales, they're in the stratosphere. Any news you hear about retail sales not doing well is not based on any data. It may be based on some anecdotes and things like that. But advanced retail sales are still doing incredibly strong. You know, inflation has been coming into uh, in the line. People are now 
able to more afford these goods probably than they could, you know, over the past year. So that's one thing. And then we look at new orders. So we, when we look at new orders, we have to strip out things like aircraft or tanks, you know, large thing. And when we look at that, that just hit an all-time historical high last month. So we are still buying things and then we're still doing orders. Unfilled orders in manufacturing are up ex- just enormously. So the orders are coming in and they're still struggling to fill these orders. Well, once they fill those orders, they're going to need to ship those orders and re- replenish the inventory. I feel like all of this is happening. All of this is kind of taking shape right now. So you've had some people say, well, next year, next year is when this recession is going to come. Now we're moving into next year. And I can't strongly say this enough. No, it's still, we have almost 10 million job openings in this country, which we were never really able to fill. Had we filled them? Yes. But you have all these jobs, pretty much we still have a sub 4% unemployment rate. Those are consumers. They're buying things. Products are moving. It's not that they're not moving. Uh, the inventory to sales ratio is historically speaking incredibly low, which means the even though inventories look high, they're moving those inventories. So this is kind of the backdrop. That's a long answer, but it's a backdrop of which you know all this negativity is being painted out there with no data to support it. So I'm here to kind of myth bust a little bit and maybe give some people some hope. Yeah, I love that. Can you dive a little bit? And, and that lines up with what I'm hearing from fleets and what they're seeing uh, as well. Mm-hmm. And so specifically, I, I saw you put out a couple posts around, you know, furniture purchases and clothing. Mm-hmm. What what showed up there that was a little bit surprising or not surprising uh, going into this retail season? You know, what's interesting is in 2020, everybody's kind of locked in their homes and we give them an enormous amount of money that we had never ever seen a government outlay of $2 trillion. And people couldn't go anywhere, so they bought a lot of goods. And so, you know, you're buying new appliances, you're doing all of these things, furniture, all of this, and that happens. Well, you're not going to go out and buy those things all again. You know, once you have an appliance, hopefully it lasts a, a little while. Mine haven't, which is why I guess I'm part of these things as well. <laughs> but um, you're looking at this now and you go, there was this initial burst and then there was a backlog because we couldn't fill those orders. So it kind of went into 21 and you really saw this kind of demand peaking out at that time. Well, it's funny as you have a lull that started to occur last year and of course in the first part of this year. But what we're seeing now is after these lines were trending down, so things that you would buy for yourself in the third quarter when GDP took a huge spike upward, that was being driven by consumer spending. Another thing that, you know, you would say, well, if you're going to recession, you're not going to see burst in consumer spending. You're going to see the opposite. But what I thought was curious and what I posted about was what people were buying. So you're starting to buy those self-indulgent products again, you know, new furniture, clothing. These are things that you probably had or bought and now you're doing it again. And so what was really interesting about the furniture number is we know we're not selling a lot of houses right now. Housing inventory is insanely low. Homes are very expensive. Interest rates are high. So we're not moving a lot of houses. So to see people buying furniture means that they're just refurnishing their own places. Well, that's a bit of an indulgent spend. And that's the kind of stuff you actually want to see going into the holidays because that tells you that the signals are out there that people are comfortable spending on indulgences for themselves. And that usually allows for the goods to keep going through the cycle and be replenished again. Yeah, it's so funny. We talked about that last week and then we got our new couches yesterday that we ordered. Uh, It's just one of those (laughs) things we had put it off. And then I also just finally bought some new clothes 
And I think it's just getting comfortable with, and again, it's consumer sentiment, like where are things going? Like, right. I honestly don't think they're going majorly lower or that we're going to have a major crash. Again, just what I'm seeing in transportation and also don't think they're going to go sky high, like you're saying. And so that yeah. makes my wife and I comfortable buying buying the couches we've been putting off for forever. So it's it's just so funny. When people are making money, this is another one of these things. We have a really low unemployment rate. We'll be talking about the demographic drought and kind of those situations that are going on. But one of the things that a lot of people miss, a lot of economists miss, especially financial economists who love to call for recessions and be wrong all the time, is that if I'm making money, if I'm employed, very few, <laughs> we don't save very well. So people, when they're making money, tend to spend money. And we have a lot more people making money now with this low unemployment rate and payroll jobs going up, you know, another million and five over the past year. That's a million five more consumers. You only have 1.6 million people on unemployment. So you, that's historically an extremely low number of people collecting unemployment, which means people have money. Yes, their credit card debt is starting to increase. Yes, their savings are starting to go down, but we're spending money. And that spend of money is what's driving, drives your entire industry. We need to see product moving. What you look for is if the product's moving, it does send a signal that people are comfortable, like I was saying before. Yeah. So that was another question I was going to ask is what are you seeing with credit card rates? And is that, should that be alarming? And then also with, with savings, with personal savings, like yeah. you can even walk from 2020 to, to now. Yeah. So what happened, you know, I was talking a little while ago in this time after the pandemic, we started cutting people checks, which we'd never done before. And it wasn't that we were just cutting checks. Like we cut checks to everyone. People who had jobs, people who were doing completely fine, were starting to get checks like on a regular basis. And I was one of those people. And I was like, why are you giving me money? I don't even need this right now. And you could, and what it was doing is they were trying to keep everything kind of moving along. But it was a horrible combination because what it was is you were creating a lot of demand, but there was no one generating supply. I mean, we, it, you look at the labor force at the time, labor force participation had absolutely plummeted. So what it did is, is that kind of caused this massive inflation spike that we had because you have a lot of people trying to buy and very few people making things. So during this time, because there was a lot of money and you couldn't travel, you know, you weren't going out to eat, you know, maybe you were doing, you know, DoorDash was still kind of exploding during this time. But you have people who were really kind of, I have money and now I'm getting more. And so I started saving that. And it really ballooned up accounts. I mean, this was as of June, Bank of America's chief financial analyst said that on average, people still had 30% more in their accounts than they had prior to the pandemic. Yes, the number was coming down, but they still had way more than they had had prior. So we started watching this excess savings number, which really did get crazy. But it has been nosediving as this year goes on, and it's almost back to equilibrium right now. And as that's happening, as that savings number is going down, you are seeing credit card debt kind of going, working its way back to its trend line. But this is something I posted about recently. It's not back to its trend line. Like a lot of people want to sit there and go, hey, this is record high credit card debt. Well, because you have 7 million more people in this country than you had in 2020, you're going to have more debt. It's debt per person that we're watching. And if we can tell that that number is not to the level it is because that credit card debt is not back to its trend line. And I know a lot of people would say, well, that's terrible. You don't want it going to its trend line. You don't want people in credit debt. True, you don't. We would love it if that wasn't the case. 
But the reality is that is kind of the way we do look at things and say, is money moving? Are people spending money? So they're draining savings. So clearly they're spending. They are running up credit card debt. Some people will say, well, that's because, you know, their rents have gone up. Absolutely. That is something that happens as well. But I think all of these things kind of feed into money's moving. And we want to see money moving to show us that consumers aren't necessarily, you know, afraid of doing certain things, which is why I started this whole thing with advanced retail sales are still in record territory. New orders are still in record territory. Yes, you can say that rents are higher. Yes, you can say that mortgages may be higher, but that doesn't take away from the fact that we can clearly see people are spending these, uh, the money that they have on goods as well as you know, other necessities of life. Yeah. So if I'm a transportation executive, uh, CEO of, of a company that moves, let's say, for hire freight, and, yeah. and I've kind of put a pause on recruiting efforts and you know maybe had to cut some of my recruiting team had to cut some of my recruiting marketing spend like should i be making budgeting decisions to get ahead of that potential increase in otr truck driver demand or 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 local truck driver demand like should i be making those bets now like those are the type of questions i'm getting from these executives yeah you know i feel like is through despite everything I've been saying, I feel like we are still in kind of a, I wouldn't move too quickly just yet. Yes, we're seeing these this demand kind of increase. We are seeing advanced retail sales stay high. Well, they've been high over the past six months and so. And yet while that's been happening, we haven't had enormous demand on trucking. In fact, we've been watching our postings for for heavy truck drivers going down. In fact, in October, it took a huge hit. Now, that may be because people are, are, are nervous, but I don't hear anybody saying, well, I feel overstaffed. We know that there's been some, some financial issues in the industry. I think there's still reason to take a pause right now. What I think is going to be very interesting, and this was something I just was looking at this morning, I've been following for the past years, so really been focusing on uh, the private equity and venture capital market. So these, for people who don't spend a lot of time with that, these are the large funds. These are the large companies that invest in businesses to basically start something new or to merge things together. And what they're doing is they look for sectors that they go, hey, we could probably do something here. There's money to be had. We feel good about this sector. And I just read this this morning. The sectors that they're looking at right now aren't IT or bio. They're actually looking at manufacturing. Uh, there's a feeling that there's something about to happen, that this is an industry that's kind of ripe for some innovation. They think if we can merge some things together. So the money is starting to go into these you know, places. So there, there is definitely optimism about that sector. Uh, you know, Industrial production has held really solid. I told you unfilled orders are still sitting at insane highs. And so with that in mind, you know, you know that industry is really not feeling pain. They've navigated this whole past year through all of these interest rate increases. Manufacturing has done, has done incredibly well. And I think that this is, uh, you know, going into next year, I don't see, you know, I made a post recently. It's like if, if the recession happens or if something goes down, a floor has to fall out. And something I've been pointing out is if we look at real GDP, so if we take into account inflation, real GDP has not been at its growth line for three, four years now, which means we're still underproducing. So you can't really recess from where you re you've already recessed. You're already not producing to your full capacity. Now, some people would, you know, kind of look at this and go, well, 
a recession is like you're going down into negative. And I'm like, but in a sense, what we've been getting is not as positive as we should be getting. This all is, this all relates, you know? So if I'm sitting there going, do I hire, you know, how do I feel about the future? You know, how do I feel about this purchasing season for the holidays? Cause I'm hearing a lot of negative news out there. Yeah. We all hear this negative news. It's almost always not based on any data, but we hear the negative news. Uh, you know, these are, I always tell people when you hear of negative news about the economy, if, if you hear predictions of recessions or, you know, we're going to destroy this economy, always look to see who's saying it because there's a motivation there. You know, financial economists, those in banks, anybody involved in doing loans and everything cannot stand interest rate increases because it really hurts, you know, their returns. The bank economists are the ones, you know, who have been saying recession for 14 to 18 months now because they're trying to create a sentiment that goes against what we're doing, what uh, Chairman Powell's doing in raising interest rates. They're trying to make that feel like society's coming apart, but it absolutely is not coming apart. It's actually doing really, really well. Historically speaking, and this is something I have to point out literally almost every time I put a post up on LinkedIn, historically speaking, we're killing it. This is this is uncharted waters for us. We are absolutely soaring as an economy. Is it like it was in 21, 22? No, thank goodness. We don't, that was insane. You don't want that. It causes so much inflation when demand gets that out of whack to supply. We don't want that. We want things to cool off, but we want it to cool off kind of slowly. That's called a soft landing. And we're kind of hitting that soft landing. And so there's a point where people start to call the bluff and say, you know what? I feel good now. And look, we're getting orders and I got to get people in here. We got to make these things. And that's why I feel like these people who are calling now for a recession next year, they're saying it's because the housing market's going to come apart. But the housing housing prices are still 27% overvalued. So even if they came down, all that would do would create an entirely new boost in housing sales, which would cause a lot of new products to be sold and because a lot of people would be moving in and all of the economy starts to move on that front. So this is, you know, I think the long and short of it is, <laughs> is I would say hold for just hold for a bit until we can kind of get a feel for how the holiday season's playing out. But if these inventories continue to clear out, if we get another good quarter in consumer spending, there's no reason that we should expect to drop off going into next year. And those people who've been sitting on the sidelines, the private equity firms, the venture capital firms who've not been buying anything for a year and a half may start to come back in the market and be like, look, I think we can ride this out. I don't think these interest rates are going to do anything. And at that point, I think you'll start to see things, you know, start to get hot again. But um, I would just hold a little bit on that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what we're seeing on the like as far as like marketing ROI, which I think I think you might find fascinating. So. It's the lowest like lead cost. So if you're putting dollars into Google, putting dollars into Facebook that we've seen in a long time and the lowest marketing cost per hire, you know, we saw a huge run up after COVID because again, demand yeah. for these same pool increased and there's a heavy marketing spend in this space. And so what we're seeing right now with most of the fleets we work with is they're holding steady, which a lot of times they'll cut in Q4 but they're not cutting as much. So lead costs are still low. So I don't think you can say that people have all jumped back in and are ramping things up yet, but that that's kind of what we're seeing is 
is a holding pattern with with marketing dollars and maybe even an uptick, but not a not a major uptick that's driven like a uh, cost up on cost per hire yet. Uh, but that that's kind of what fleets are debating is like, do we lower like like do we keep spend as is or do we take advantage of these cheap hires now uh, or when do we? Um, and yeah. that's kind of the big question. And I see some fleets taking advantage of it because they have like have the dollars and they would rather do it now than when things ramp up. And then sure. you see others, others not doing that. And so, yeah, that's, that's just kind of the dynamic, the dynamic that we're seeing on the marketing side. So uh, Actually, that jives, wanted... jives with everything you're saying. So the paper that we just put out, we were talking about holiday hiring. And the point being for a company that's like, Hey, we're going to ramp up for the holidays. There's still no supply. And this is something that's blowing people's minds. So if I go into some of these markets and I look at things like warehousing postings, they're straight down, straight down. As they're going straight down, the pay rates are going straight up. So you go, wait a minute, wait, that doesn't make any sense. You just said there's a lot less companies that want to hire this right now. Why are the pay rates going up? Because there's still no supply. The way with the U.S. has been boosting supply in about the past year or so is immigration. So we've added about... Uh, two and a half million immigrants. It's 60% of our growth in our labor force in about the past two years. Well, this, those immigrants were really going into certain industries, food processing, construction, things like that. So what you have is a situation where a lot of the people that you would typically hire, they're still not here. We don't, we don't have them. And so, you know, when, uh, if you read who's going to do the work, which is a short article that I co-wrote at the end of last year, it is an insanely sobering piece that will probably scare you to death about the fact that, you know, two thirds of our high school graduates are getting college degrees and the number actually goes up after a couple of years after that. But yet our economy is run by people who don't have a four year degree. That's actually how you eat. That's actually how you get things moved around in this country. And we don't have those people. And so what's happening are people sitting there saying, well, we haven't been hiring, so I should be able to pay less. I should be able to do better than I was. And the reality is that's not true. The supply is still incredibly low. I said earlier, unemployment claims are insanely low. We're talking the same kind of numbers that we saw in 1970. Like you, you, you're talking about the population was 100, 200 million smaller than it is now, but we have the same number of people who are claiming unemployment. These are This is a very different time that we live in. At the end of this article that we just did, the one we were talking about earlier, there are four things that we said at the end, like why is supply hurting? And you just mentioned one of these things. So first one is hoarding. So employers fought really hard to get people in the past two years, especially people that were worth a darn, <laughs> you know, people that you were like, hey, I'd like to employ this person. They actually maybe could pass a drug screen. Uh, so what happened is after they got those people, they didn't want to let them go. So, you know, they're like, hey, look, we're getting fluctuations in orders, but I'll be darned if I'm going to let these people go because then I'm going to have to try to get them back and they're probably going to be gone. And we can tell that they are gone. Like when they lose those jobs, they're finding other work. You know, as restaurants keep paying more, I mean, fast food, $16, $20 an hour, like there is a lot of competitors looking for the same person that we really don't have anymore. So there's this hoarding problem. The other thing is if we go back for all of these years prior to the pandemic, in like retail trade, they every month would let go about 200,000 people. They, they were just, it's, it's basically you ramp up and then you let people go. 
excuse me, and that was an average around 200. That number's way lower than that right now. And last month it was 137,000. They are letting they were letting way fewer people go now than they have been in the past. Once again, they haven't been able to hire everybody what they want. And they don't want to let everybody go because then you're like, well, now the holidays here, I need them back. And they're like, where'd everybody go? They're not here. And this is, you know, speaking to your earlier point about, well, when do you hire? Well, you don't wait for everything to be hot before you hire, but you need enough of a signal to go, this is a smart move or else, you know, you could be like ramping up in a, you know, as things are heading another direction. But it is, a, it's, it is going to be a sobering reminder for people to be like, well, our industry is really not doing well. It, it, we call it, you know, it's kind of like egocentrism or ethnocentrism when you kind of see the world through your own eyes and you can't see it through anybody else's. A lot of people, when they look at the economy, look at it through their industry's eyes. And it's like, if their industry is not doing well, well, then the economy is not doing well. And that's absolutely not true. There are so many industries that are still doing quite well. Uh, there are industries that aren't. But the important thing is that you look at the total and that's what you see in the GDP report. You know, you see that people are spending you know, you see uh, that corporations are still making money. I saw something Barron said yesterday that uh, there were three consecutive quarters of corporate profit declines. That's absolutely not true. Uh, in fact, that number went up last quarter. So I don't know where people get some of this information from, but the data is actually showing the companies are doing really well as, uh, as of this year. Corporate profit still way above trend. So no eminent signs of collapse or anything like that. But yeah, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Yeah, one of the one of the things I'm seeing fleets do that's that's interesting. Like as you speak about hoarding talent, it made me think about it. So what they're doing is that some some of the what I view as smarter fleets being through a few of these cycles are they're building a wait list of drivers, and so they may be investing a little bit more in marketing right now hmm. than they necessarily need to. Like they're like, hey, I don't have empty trucks but they're building a wait list of, you know, the best drivers that have more experience so that mm. when it comes back, they're able, able to, to bring those on. And, and I'm finding that, like the fleets that have been able to weather the decrease in spot rates better because they maybe have less debt and, you know, are just more equipped to act more strategically rather than just being driven by the numbers there building that wait list so that they, you know, will be able to ramp. And so it's not that they're necessarily bringing them on right now, but they're keeping as many drivers as they can and keeping them as busy as they can because uh, they, yeah. you know, make more money when they're moving the freight. And then they are, as I said, they're, they're building that pipeline. And, mm -hmm. and so it'll be interesting. Just I, I've seen in each of these cycles, having been through four, and I know you've been through more being an economist for over 30 years that the, the, the like in these swings, different fleets pick up market share. And so that it'll be interesting coming out of this, like who goes from 800 trucks to 1600 trucks, like who, who gets those bigger contracts. And cause at some point it's going to be crazy competitive again, even in that space, like particularly for OTR truck drivers and owner operators uh, as yeah. freight rates go back up. And it, it I mean, when it goes up, you can't you can't find those people. Today's sponsor. Do you hire truck drivers in hard-to-fill areas, or do you need help creating efficiency in your recruiting department? You're not alone. With 50-plus years' experience, Trucking Click specializes in data-driven strategies, industry-leading customer experience, and custom solutions that'll get you to your goal. 
Trucking Clicks is your go-to place for high-quality direct leads at scale. Visit truckingclicks.com or call 512-982-0816 today. Would you say there's still, it's not at that less than $35 an hour price point, like these OTR drivers make a little bit more. Would you say there still is a truck driver shortage or is not I would say so right now. I don't feel that way. And I think the reason being is that kind of all of your kind of independent drivers are kind of sitting on the silence right now because the, you know, rates, they can't get the rates that they want. I mean, I have some friends who have told me like, look, I'm doing something else until these rates can pick back up again because it's not worth me to, to take the truck out at that point. And I think as long as you have a lot of people sitting things out, you can't have a shortage because they're yeah. sitting it out waiting for a waiting for something to happen. Could you have a shortage of people who are willing to make a certain price point? Well, yeah, but is that a shortage or is that just the market clearing price isn't correct? And I think I, I get a little bit, it's kind of like um, a pet peeve of mine is when people are like, well, there's a there's a skill shortage. And I'm like, so you're saying, is there a people shortage or is it a skill shortage? Well, there's there's not enough people with the skills that I need. And I'm like, then train them. Like, that's not a shortage. Like, that's you being picky in particular. Like, you could always invest in people and train them and give them the skill sets that you need. That's kind of how society worked until like 1975, 1980, when we finally, you know, had so many people that, you know, you just could ask for anything you want. We called it a ready-made employee. I want them to have all of these things. Well, in a market with tons of workers, you can get that. But we don't have tons of workers now. And I think the same thing here is sometimes people say, like, well, we just can't find anybody. I'm like, well, you can't find anybody or you can't find anybody at just price point. You know, did you try different price points and see if that attracted different people? And I think that the, we got to be really careful. Um, yes, unemployment is historically still very low. It's not as low as it was, you know, a couple months ago, we hit an all time low at 3.4. I think we're around 3839 right now. That's still really low. And that's in some markets are very, very tight. But shortages are is a complicated kind of uh, terminology to use. I think we get a little sloppy with it sometimes. Um, I think there are some people out there. I will say that, well, I can't stress this enough. If you are a lousy place to work, if the conditions uh, which people are in aren't that great, you're not being chosen. Uh, they have choices. You know, we we saw I can't get the data now because the people who produced it don't make it right now, which is driving me nuts. But back in 2019, we saw a really big outflow of men from manufacturing and construction to things like retail trade and um, and restaurants. And if you go back to that time, you know, Amazon starts being reclassified into retail trade. And they're paying $20. And you got people working in manufacturing and assemblers for $11. You know, so even before things ramped up in 2020, Amazon was still paying $15, $16. I mean, when you're making, you know, $11 an hour, that's a phenomenal increase in pay for a company that has a great brand. So all of these people in this market are like, well, now we have a shortage. And I'm like, well, there's a shortage of people who are willing to make that level of money. So it's the market changing. If you can match that, you can. If you can't, you can't. But it's um, I feel like that's kind of the situation right now. I definitely feel like this is probably as good of a trucking supply as we've had in the past four or five years, mm-hmm. maybe longer. Yeah, the other the other pain point that fleets have are on the diesel mechanic uh, is on the diesel oh, yeah. mechanic. Now, that's side. a problem. Yeah, but I but it made me think about as you were talking through that, that's 
a training thing, an equipping thing, yep. and a rate 100%. thing. So it's not, I mean, it again, the semantics of shortage, there are fewer that are trained than can fill the roles now. But do you train them? Do you invest in that? Do you continue to yeah. increase pay? And then can that can that change? That's a great, great question. So who's going to do the work was about this topic. So we interviewed 1,500 high school students and we asked them about their intentions once they got out. And obviously the large majority is like, I want to go get a four-year degree. And we said, well, why wouldn't you pursue skilled trades? You know, why wouldn't you do things that you can do like in a community college or a skilled trade school? And, you know, about half of them are like, well, physically it's hard. Like I always have a joke when I speak of, you know, these are people are like, well, that's hard as they're on their way to the CrossFit gym. You know, like, you know, you could get paid to to work out. It's called a job, but yeah, that's what we'll put that to the side yeah. for now. But it's like, that was that part. And then there's like, people are like, well, I just want to be in a desk or whatever. Like, you see these reasons that young people have, but they've really migrated away. Right now, in the U.S. economy, the unemployment rate for people who are install maintenance repairs, so maintenance technicians, mechanics, and things like that, they have a lower unemployment rate than IT. So you've been hearing for decades, STEM shortage, STEM shortage, science, technical, and math. We don't have it, engineering and math. We don't have these people. We don't. We, everybody should go to college. Go, go learn computer programming. Go become an engineer. No, we're, we're actually quite fine. Remote changed the game. It's now a global game. These people are falling out of trees all over the place. Like we can get those people. What you can't get is an in-person person to come and fix your air conditioning or to fix your truck or to fix your plane, you know, aircraft mechanics, shortages. These positions are the ones that people aren't going to. And so it does become a factor of, well, what do you do at that point? Because uh, like a friend of mine, his son, got out of high school and he was like, college isn't for me. And he went and became, you know, he went and got it, became a diesel mechanic. And believe me, the day he graduated, he was long gone. I mean, he said he got a job in blazing fast speed. And I'm like, of course he did. Cause there aren't very many of these people out there right now. His son wanted to do that. How do we make people want to do it? Well, I think one thing we have to do is tell them it's not as, it's not awful as, as awful as you think it is. You can get paid really, really well quickly. In fact, once you get past that entry-level stage, you can certify your way up to a really great pay level. And I think at, at that point you go, well, what is their responsibility? What should companies be subsidizing? And that's for companies to decide. You know, a lot of people will be like, well, I don't want to invest in because if I do, then they're going to they're gonna quit. And they're going to go somewhere else. And I'm like, well, then you have another problem, and that Culture. is your work environment. Because <laughs> if the second you get somebody trained, they leave, that tells me something more about you because I worked in a company uh, the last where, where people that I hired didn't have you know backgrounds in labor economics. I trained them in that part. I just wanted people that were motivated, and I'm like, I can give them that. They all stayed. I mean, I didn't lose people. They stayed because they love the work. I had invested in them, and they felt like they were part of something you know important. After I left, they did leave. But I would say that that's a part that we you know there's. When you invest in people, especially Gen Z, when you mentor them, when you like, look, I'm going to invest in you. I see you doing this. Like, I think you could be really great at this. They'll stay, you know, way more than you think. When you saw this job switching that was just going on in the past two years, it wasn't Z's. Those were millennials. These were mid-career people who were unsatisfied in their job jumping around, but we weren't seeing in the younger people. So there's still a lot to be said. And I know some people probably listen to this and go, I just don't believe that but you should. 
because it is definitely something that we see overwhelmingly in the data. People saying like, I want to know that what I do makes a difference. Well, mechanics make a difference. You know, things were broken and they fix them. It's, it's a satisfying job when you make things better for other people. There's so many jobs out there in the, in the white collar space that don't have that kind of gratification. If you're a accountant or a, uh, you know, somebody just doing certain jobs that like you just sit there like, what did I do today? Like some of these IT jobs, I'm sure they go home and they're like, I just sat and broke code for forever. And I don't even know if the company's going to use the application. It's like, I, I say in who's going to do the work that the biggest problem that I see in skilled trades, it's a marketing problem. These are not people who went to school and took marketing, got marketing degrees. They don't know how to sell what they do to young people. So obviously it's unsexy because we spent three decades telling young people college is the only route. And so you're fighting an uphill battle against a society that's kind of been telling people not to do that, which means you got to step up your game and be like, you've been, people have been telling you to make this kind of money. You've got to go, go into phenomenal college debt and to get these degrees. By the way, if you start with me at 18, 19 years old, you're going to be making the same money as an accountant makes by the time you're 22, 23. You're not going to have any college debt. And by the time you're 30, you can probably be naming your hours. Like, I want to do this. You may have your own shop by then. It's like you're going to be in control of your life. We are not telling people the truth about these kind of jobs, and it's really hurting us. Uh, but we have to step that part of the game up. And I tell people it's not about going to co uh, going to high schools. Because a lot of people are like, well, let's get into high schools and tell them about these jobs. like, you got to get these kids to your site, get them on the job, show them what you're doing. Like people will go to things that they understand more than something that's kind of nebulous, something that they really can't, you know, draw a good picture of in their mind. You know, that's why internships are so phenomenal because you, you know, if you're an apprentice or an intern, you're working alongside somebody who's really good and they're investing in you. And you're like, look, I don't know about the other jobs I've been offered, but I know about this job. I know the environment. I like that person who's been mentoring me. Yeah, I'll go there. And I think that's a, one of the things we got to have to keep improving on. Yeah. So it sounds like fleets can invest in mentorship programs and just in Definitely. people. I think there's all this buzz around, you know, AI and technology and things like that. It it only helps to the extent that you're really investing in as people as yeah. humans. Like you can leverage the technology, right. but you're gonna you're going to get burned if you don't actually focus on the person doing the job uh -huh. and investing uh -huh. in them. So I think, I think investing in internship programs, that's a good takeaway of, of some of what you just said. And, and then, yeah, I just love the people and culture component. Cause that's one thing we're, we're big on with, with my companies is investing in people, even if they're, even if it's a vision outside of our organization, like let's help them get there. Like, they may come back, they may not, but they're going to refer people like we don't like we don't need to be scared of investing in talent that they might leave. Because if you invest in talent in the right way, you're going to have higher retention than anyone else. Right. And and that's one of the like the biggest right. costs, knowing that like turnover rate on average has been, you know, around the 100 percent range in, in, in freight uh, over the past few years. And yeah, like invest in your people, invest in your drivers. Like if you're investing in technology, do it in a way that really helps them. And then mentorship, it has to be that human touch. It can't be purely automation. Like they need to be talking in person to a dispatcher when they have a pain point. And then, yeah, on the mechanic side, I think 
internship, sharing the vision. And and I'd never heard it put that way of just, it's a marketing problem. Like that filling some of these skilled trade positions is is the, the college narrative of everybody needs to go and get a degree. But that's that's not necessarily the case. Like you have people with four-year degrees and master's degrees, um, you know, working working in some of these service sectors that right. they could have just gone straight into, like in restaurants right. and retail, rather rather than hocking up all this debt. Or or they could go into skilled trade, like diesel mechanic, and you know, get with a company with a great culture that'll invest in them and has a good internship program. And that's just an incredible opportunity. Like I don't even know. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, help help my kids with whatever direction they want to go. Like I have, I have young young boys, but we will have that talk. Like, is it worth a hundred thousand in college debt? Like at at the time, I, I mean, when you can go have a get in a skilled trade and make a hundred thousand dollars a year, or go drive a truck, make a hundred thousand dollars a year uh, in a short period of time, and so and there's an increase. And you don't just have to be on the road two years because logistics has improved. You have a lot more home daily routes, home every two or three days. Uh, you've just seen a big industry change there where it's not as much OTR. It's a uh, little short dedicated routes and and getting you home more often. And so so everybody's kind of adapted to those preferences. And so it's not not the same thing it was where everybody's out four weeks at a time and then doesn't see their family. So it's just, you know, very much a changing industry and dynamic. Well, I really appreciate those questions around industry insights. And one of the things I want to make sure we do before we get off is talk a little bit about Lightcast and the data that you guys can provide for fleet executives to know, you know, some of what you just rattled off off the top of your head. I know one thing they can do is follow you on LinkedIn and and read read your posts that I get so much value from. But what else can they do in partnering with Lightcast, fleet executives specifically? Yeah, Lightcast is a labor data company. And what we do is we're basically, we talk about all kinds of things like where people live that have the skill sets that I want, you know, where uh, should I be hiring? But we're monitoring things like posting trends. So you can kind of see, as I was put, talking about earlier, I'm looking at almost real time posting trends in you know, heavy truck drivers. You can break it down by the different, you know, CDLs. You can do all kinds of things around that. You can see who's hiring. You can see what your competition's hiring. You can see where they're hiring. We have career pathways. So you can actually see like, well, if somebody is a, you know, currently a heavy truck driver, what what was the jobs that they had prior to that? So if I want to kind of go and mine from that, where do I lose people too? So a career pathway may, they did this in the middle, then they went to this afterwards. You know, where do companies, we uh, called a gain drain report, where you can actually see well, for this company, where do they usually get people from? You may not even know that for yourself, but we know. And then you can see where do you lose people too. So there's tons and tons of different ways that people use this data. We actually work with one of the largest trucking companies in the country. I've already been to their headquarters and spoken once. I've uh, been asked to come back again, I think next year. But this is you know, the, the fascination with what is our long-term plan for hiring? What's, what's our model are we, you know, in a good position for where we want to be in the future? Do uh, the big thing that I, the reason you should say the the six uh, keynotes in six weeks, it's now been seven in about eight weeks, uh, but I shut it down for the year. But the reason why I'm out there all the time talking is that people, I think, went through a period where they're like, I'm going to wait this out. And then they realized that it it wasn't changing. And so they start to get scared. And then I come in and tell them, this is as easy as it's going to get. What's what heading to 
by you know, 2027, 2030 is going to be monumentally more tougher than it is right now because you're going to have a very bloated, dependent boomer population who's out of the labor force on a very skinny population that's taking care of them. And this is unprecedented. You know, we're going to have more older people than kids in this country by 2034 for the first time in U.S. history. So these are the beginning of your pains. I keep I use this analogy. The hurricane, you know, I live in Florida, the outer bands, it's raining and it's breezy. The hurricane's coming. We don't we're not guessing. You know it. It's right there. It's coming right at us. And so what we're trying to get people to understand is you need to make decisions today about how you're going to do things in the future. And like what you were talking about, how do you make jobs more attractive? Well, more local routes. That's a great thing. You're thinking of how can we make this job? If this becomes a hyper-competitive situation, how do we do that? How do we do a better job maybe getting immigrants in here? What's our training program? How do we invest in talent and keep talent? These things that you're starting to do now are going to get so, so much more critical in the years that are coming. That's what we do. We kind of help you to at least go, well, this is where I need to start. Uh, This is kind of what I'm dealing with. This is where people come from. But so many different ways that you can engage. We have tools for all things. So we literally have large data sets um, that you can get through Snowflake or APIs. If you have a lot of data people in your company where you can just take this stuff and ingest it straight into your environment, all the way down to really simple to use uh, reports and tools that just kind of break down well, this is the market I'm in. This is what I'm looking for. You know, what should I be expecting to pay right now? Because we keep that number adverti- you know, advertised salary. We're updating that every day. Uh, what are the trends been? You can actually see your hiring trends uh, over time for really specific skill sets. A lot of times you can't see that stuff, but we can tell you how many of these, you know, are out there. We can tell you who's hiring. So much data there, uh, you know, all different price points for people. So I uh, highly encourage it. It's Lightcast. Uh, L-I-G-H-T-C-A-S-T dot I-O, not dot com, dot I-O. Lightcast dot I-O is our website. And uh, hopefully people check it out. That's great. And then if people are wanting to follow you and, you know, see some of these yep. posts you're putting out frequently on social media, where, sh- where should they follow you, Ron? Yeah, LinkedIn is where I do everything. I used to do Twitter, but ugh, yuck. That's uh, I like the conversations on LinkedIn a lot better. So I am Ron L as in Larry Hetrick. Ron L Hetrick. That is how you find me on LinkedIn. Uh, if you are sitting there and you see any more Ron Hetricks, because I think there's another one. I think I'm wearing glasses in my profile pic. Uh, but yeah, Ron L Hetrick. H E T R I C K is the end of that. Uh, name. And I do encourage people, if you find this kind of data interesting and everything, follow me. I'm not out to sell anything. I'm just out there dropping truth as I, as I can see it in the market. There's so much misinformation out there. I do everything I can to sort through that and tell you as honestly as I can what I see happening. And um, it's been a big deal for a lot of people. I had a guy tell me recently at a conference, he goes, I don't listen to the news anymore because I don't trust anything anybody says. He goes, but I follow you. And I'm like, well, that's a huge responsibility on me. And I appreciate it. But I do my very best to be honest about what I'm seeing out there. Yeah. And that's actually, you know, one of the reasons I reached out to you is one of our core values uh, in my companies is radical honesty. And, mm. you know, when when somebody disagrees with you on LinkedIn, like you'll just talk it out right there and and it's okay to have yep. disagreements, but you just, right. I love how flatly you're just like, well, here's the data. And then yep. it's almost like <laughs> mic, mic drop. 
Um, and so everybody, if I've had not, people delete their comments after I do that. Like, yeah, because I'll be like, well, I mean, I know that it couldn't appear that way, but here's actually the trend. Then I go back and I'm like, dang, that was a really good reply. I didn't know they were going to, because when they delete their comment, then I lose my response. I'm like, that was a good response. We had that. Like, happen it was good for other people week. to see that. Yeah. We had that happen last week when we were looking through your posts and you're like, oh yeah, let's look at this housing post. I think it was and the comment had been deleted. It was such a good yeah. thread. So, uh, well, Ron, I really yeah. appreciate your time. Uh, thank sure. you for coming on the show today. Uh, again, this is Aaron Craddock with the Hire Truckers podcast. We hope you have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. Our goal with the Hire Truckers podcast is to provide industry insights, marketing trends, and motivation to level up your recruiting game. If we added value, take a few seconds to share this with your network. Have a great week.